Hi, my name's Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 25 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio transcription of the monthly live Q&A that went out on July 27th, 2022. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now on with the show. We are live. Good evening, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me, or good afternoon, or good morning, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to another live Q&A, uh, the once a month thing brought to you by Gaming Rules, uh, thanks to the support of my Patreon supporters. Um, yeah, the format of this month is going to follow what it does every month. I've been asked a number of questions in advance on the BGG Guild. I'm going to go through all of those first. That normally takes about 45 minutes or so, and then we'll go to the live questions. So if you're watching this live and you have any questions for me, uh, feel free to put them in the chat, but start with the word question in capitals. Start with the word question. Vicky is here. She's monitoring the chat. She's going to transfer those questions to a Google Doc, and I will get to them in the second half of the show. We're probably going to be here for about an hour and a half today. It always works out about an hour and a half. Uh, and I've got a couple of announcements to make as well uh, as we go along. But for now, thank you very much for everybody for joining. And let's head on over to the questions that I've been asked in advance on the BGG Guild. And I just wanted to mention this quickly. If you're one of those people who watches this um, uh, Q&A afterwards or you listen to the podcast version of this, because uh, to be fair, most about 95% of the views on this video come from people watching it afterwards. So if you are one of those people and you think, oh, how am I going to get around to asking Paul a question because you can never watch them live, then you can do so. If you join the Guild, uh, Board Game Geek Guild number 2258, Vicky will put a link to it in the, on the chat now. Uh, what I do is each month I post a thread a few days before and that's where I invite the questions. So yeah, that's where all of these questions have come from. And the first one is from Wade. Wade is asking me, how do I feel about Sky Mines compared to other Alexander Pfister games? Uh, I've covered Sky Mines on the channel recently, uh, last Friday I think it was. Unfortunately I did make a rules mistake in there as I found out today. Uh, and I'm going to be covering the solo game on Saturday. But how I feel about it compared to some of his other games, most notably Boone Lake. Now Boone Lake for me is still in that category of I need to play it a bit more. I really do enjoy Sky Mines. It is the new version of Mombasa, which is another game that I really like. But my gut feeling is that I think four is the best player count for it because of the way that the players are interacting with advancing different companies on the board. Uh, and I'm, I haven't tried the Lunar rules yet. The Lunar rules allow you to add a bot to your two and three player games or even your solo games. And I'll be seeing the solo game on, um, on Saturday. So yeah, uh, at the moment, it's, it's a little bit difficult for me to compare. And Boon Lake, as I say, it's still in that. I don't know how much I enjoy Boon Lake. I do enjoy it a lot but I don't know exactly how much I enjoy it. Um, I keep saying that, and I've been saying that for a few months, and I've been saying I need to play it more, and every time I play it, I still feel I need to play it more. So yeah, not quite sure. Sorry for not answering the question. Um, Chrissy is asking, uh, she says she struggles to retain game rules for more than five minutes if it's not a game that she plays regularly. Because I teach so many games, both on stream and at conventions, how do you manage to keep the rules in your head? And I, I actually get asked this question quite a bit from other people. A lot of people, certainly in the gaming hobby, are a little envious of me in that I'm able to keep a lot of rules for a lot of different games in my head. And, and how do I do it? And my answer to that is 
everybody in this life has things that they're good at and things that are bad at. If I was to give you a list of things that I'm bad at, it would be a lot longer than the list of things that I'm good at. Thankfully, one of the things that I'm good at is, generally speaking, remembering rules of games uh, and, yeah, being able to then, you know, teach them. Now, it's not to say that I remember every rule of every game that I've played. For example, the Skyman's video that I did last Friday, uh, I got the rules about the max bonus spaces wrong. Now, Skyminds is an updated version of Mombasa, and Mombasa I've played lots of times, but it's probably been about two or three years since I've played Mombasa. So that's just a testament to the fact that I'm not perfect. Even games that I've played a few years ago, I do need a proper refresher beforehand in order to remember them. But there are certain games like Through the Ages, for example, where I could sit down and I could teach you how to play Through the Ages now from scratch without any preparation whatsoever. But that's because I've been playing the game for 15 years and I... And I know it. So yeah, it's just one of my one of my things that I think I'm quite good at. My memory is terrible in lots of other things in life, but as far as game rules are concerned, yeah, there's no particular training that I do for that. It's just the way that my brain is wired. Uh, Johnny is asking, do I think that auction mechanisms can ever be done well in a solo game? Uh, and any examples of games where it works well? So the first game that came to mind as soon as I saw that question was Magnate the first city uh, a, a fairly recent game came out i think it was delivered to backers maybe this year or the end of last year i can't remember uh, but designed by james naylor and i've tried out the solo mode for that game and in fact it's not just a solo mode it's an additional bot and you can use that bot for any number of players so if you really wanted to you could play like a five player game of magnate with you and four bots now the way that the bidding works is and I don't quite remember this I just remember it worked quite well because essentially there's a card and it tells you what the upper limit that the bot will bid for but that is based on a number of factors like the current land price value and, and something else as well so it's quite a clever one and what you do is you make your bid uh, and then you reveal this card and with a modifier it tells you how much the the bot is going to bid so that's one of the ones that I've seen work quite well but if you're watching this live or if you're watching this back afterwards let me know if you've got any examples of auction mechanisms uh, from bots that work, then yeah, let me know. If you're watching this live, put it in the chat now. Or if you're watching this video back afterwards, leave me a comment in the video and, and let me know what you feel uh, about good auction mechanisms in solo games or games with bots. Because I'm, I'm curious as well. Uh, next question. Next three questions are from Ben Filler. Uh, what's the next big step in gaming? So, for example, we've had the introduction of cooperative, more recently a big surge in solo gaming. Apps are being used more often, and of course there are good digital adaptations. What's the next big thing for our hobby? I can't answer that. I, I honestly have no idea. Um, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, co-op has had a resurgence. Co-op's been getting stronger and stronger for about 10 years now. Uh, certainly games with solo mode, that's been getting stronger. That was getting a lot stronger pre-COVID, but then post-COVID, got even during covid and post covid that's got even stronger as well uh and as you say apps are being used i don't know are apps being used more and more i think apps are being used i don't know i've not seen massive amounts of new games coming out that require apps uh so i don't know whether that's been getting more and more but of course as technology moves on the apps for those games are getting better but as for what the next big thing in our hobby is I don't know. And Ben, you didn't mention legacy style games because that was a big thing as well when legacy came out. And I'm actually a little bit surprised that we haven't got more legacy games now 
because as soon as the legacy idea came out there was a big flurry of activity around the legacy games but it hasn't really snowballed or continued which i don't know i think is a good thing um i i love campaign style games but legacy games where you're actually permanently affecting something and then you can't go back i i much prefer a campaign game um What's more important, this is the second question from Ben, what's more important to me when choosing a new game, designer or publisher? And that's, a, that's an extremely good question. Um, and I had to really think about this because I'm not sure, <sighs> it, it's tricky. And again, this is another question. Another question, if you're watching this live, designer or publisher, and if you're not watching this live, leave me a comment, but there are, and I'm not gonna name any names, but there is one game which is coming out this year from a designer who I normally like all of their games, but the publisher has kind of put me off a little bit. And the reason for that is this publisher in question, uh, their rule books are not generally great. Their games tend to be a lot more expensive than normal. And the component quality isn't as good as I find in certain other games. So in that case, the designer's name is like, oh, it's a new game from such and such a designer. And I normally like their games, but oh, hang on a minute it's being published by this company. Mm, that means it's going to be quite expensive. The rules aren't going to be great. And it kind of like, yeah, makes me rethink. So for me, it is a combination of designer and publisher. Um, quite often, you will get designers and publishers that go hand in hand. For example, John D. Clare and AEG. John D. Clare used to be exclusive with AEG. He no longer is exclusive, but a lot of John D. Clare games come out from AEG. So that is a sort of, you know, that's a good match. Vital Lacerda's agreement that he has with Eagle Griffin Games. Uh, Vital Lacerda designs the big heavy game, Ian O'Toole does the artwork and Eagle Griffin do the production. But that's not the norm in the gaming hobby. The norm in the gaming hobby is designer and publisher are normally two separate things and designers might do one game with a publisher, maybe two, and then move on to do other things. So yeah, I'm not sure, but I am curious. We, maybe we'll start a discussion on Slack about which is more important and would you buy a, a game from a designer that you know even though you're not keen on the publisher or would you buy a game from a publisher no matter who the designer is because of that publisher's track record hmm interesting and the final question from ben is starter or dessert definitely dessert i did ask for easy questions this month uh, and that is a very easy one so thank you ben definitely definitely dessert right next question from scott nelson uh, he's asking me for any comments on the following games. Inventions, Evolution of Ideas. This is the new game that's coming from Vita Lacerda. Uh, I do have comments on it, but it would be unfair for me to, to talk about those because I'm, uh, I'm going to be professionally involved in the project. I've done a little bit of... Well, it's not fair to say that I've done some playtesting on the game. As part of the work that I do with Vittal and Eagle Griffin Games, I've, I've got to play the game once and I gave my initial feedback. Now, I know the game has changed a lot since then, so that's why it's not really fair that I give you my thoughts on that particular game because they took that feedback on and they've gone and made some changes. Uh, and I'm going to be helping out a little bit, I believe, with the rulebook um, next month. And I will probably be doing the official how to play video for the game at some point in 2023, 2024, uh, whatever. Uh, next one, Horseless Carriage. Um, I don't know much about Horseless Carriage other than that it's from um, Splotter. So it's a game which I probably won't get myself. Um, it's a game that I might play if I get chance, if somebody I know has it, but I, I've not really looked into it myself. 
Uh, next question Scott wants to know about is Atiwa. I don't know anything about Atiwa. I'll have to look that up later on. Uh, Tilitum or Tiletum, however you want to pronounce it. Now that does have my interest because it's the next tea game that's coming from Board and Dice. So yeah, that, that definitely has my interest. Woodcraft, absolutely 100%. Woodcraft is the Essen release from Delicious Games uh, designed by Ross Arnold and uh, Vladasuhi. So that's coming this year. That is very, very much on my radar for, for a, a few reasons. First of all, it's, it's Vladimir Suhi, Underwater Cities, Praga Kabut Redney, uh, Messina 1347, and before Delicious Games, Pulsar 2849, and all of his other games that he did with CGE. So I'm a massive fan of, of Larger and, and his designs, but also it's Ross Arnold's first game, and Ross is one of my supporters. So yeah, very much looking forward to that one. And I should hopefully be covering that one before Essen. Uh, and the final question is Pampero that I don't know much about. So yeah, there's a few games on there that I don't know anything about. One of them that I've never heard of uh, and one of them that I'm definitely very interested in. Right, next question is from Brian. So if you were if you were wondering at what point in the Q&A we were going to have the questions from Brian about biscuits, it is now. Um, but the first ones are not biscuit related questions. The first one is now that I'm going to be a character in Shoes Tactics, if I could choose any other game in which to be a character, which game would it be? So for those people who don't know, Choose Tactics is a roll and write game, uh, which is on Kickstarter right now. I think it's on Kickstarter right now. Uh, and I'm going to be immortalized. One of the heroes that comes with the game uh, is going to be me, basically. I'm going to be in there as one of the characters, uh, and Rado is going to be in there as one of the characters as well. And my patron supporters are currently coming up with ideas for what my powers are going to be. But Brian is asking me, if I could choose any other game in which to be a character, which game would it be? And I thought about that and I, I, I couldn't think of one. I mean, there's loads of games where, where I think it would be quite cool. Um, but yeah, if you've got any thoughts, put them in the chat right now and Vicky will let me know. So a game which I know and I like that you think I would like to be a character in, basically do my work for me, help me answer my, the questions, uh, if somebody gives me some ideas, then that would be great. And it would have to be a game where there are characters with specific powers. So you can't choose, for example, Great Western Trail because there are no characters with powers in Great Western Trail. But yeah, come up with some ideas and we'll, we'll see if we can get an answer for Brian. Um, second question from Brian is, given that we're having a Kaylee band at our wedding reception, am I going to be wearing a kilt? No. Uh, Vicky's shaking her head as well, so I'm, I'm not going to be wearing a kilt <laughs> at the wedding. We're having a Kaylee band, which is traditionally Celtic, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to be wearing kilts, because it's it's not just Scottish, is it, a Kaylee band? It's, well, it's Welsh, it's Irish, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's all of the, all of the, the Celtic stuff. He says from a, a, a very not really knowing much about it kind of thing. Third question from Brian is... Have I ever used biscuits in a dessert? All the time, right? One of the things that I like to do is get a biscuit, crush it up and add a bit of ice cream. So for me, adding any kind of biscuit into any kind of dessert, yeah, really, really like. So yeah, definitely one of my, uh, definitely one of my things that I like. And what is my opinion on Biscoff spread? Now, have we had Biscoff spread? I don't think we have. We need to get ourselves some Biscoff spread because um, I absolutely love Biscoff. So yeah, definitely need to get some of that. Right, questions are, uh, one of the leaders from Lost Ruins of Arnak, yep, that's a good one. Uh, a leader in Through the Ages, uh, Arkham Horror LCG, yeah, a character in Gloomhaven, a gaming rules train in Snowdonia, 
Um, or, yeah, a character in Netrunner or Gaming Rules as a Corp. They're all good suggestions. If I was to pick one of those, uh, it would probably be... Yeah, I don't know. I think probably a leader in Through the Ages, just because it's one of my favourite games and, and I absolutely love it. But it, I mean, I don't play Netrunner, Netrunner anymore, but it would be quite cool to be a character in Netrunner as well. But yeah, let's go for a leader in Through the Ages. Right, next questions from Ray are best Manacon moments. So Manacon is a UK board game convention that I went to a couple of weekends ago uh, in the sweltering heat. <laughs> we, we, we're just coming through the end of the heat wave in the UK, but we were at this convention and it was in the middle of the heat wave and there was no air conditioning in the rooms. So the best Manacon moment for me, I'm not sure. I mean, I played some really good games at Manacon. Um, I'm not sure what the best one was. Best Manacon moment. No, no. I mean, there was lots. I mean, I played loads of games of Endless Winter. Some of them were really good. I played Perseverance that was really good. Um, played a game of So Clover. Played a game of um, Sky Mines that was really good. So, I, th I th so the best moment for me was probably there's a few people who I know that only go to Manacon and they don't go to any other UK conventions. And I knew that going to Manacon, I would see those people. So seeing those people for the first time in three years, that was quite good. Any tips for board gaming in the heat? Regular showers, um, um, a, a fridge freezer that dispenses ice, and basically, yeah, just the usual thing. But stopping and having a break every half hour to just go and have a shower or a wash with cold water and drinking lots of cold water. Um, which was not really possible at Manacon, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, Ray has also said that Mars Alien Invasion has arrived. What preparation should you do before playing? So you absolutely, with the Alien Invasion expansion for On Mars, need to be comfortable with the base game before jumping into the expansion, because otherwise the expansion will just be more confusing. I think you need to be very comfortable with the base game first and unfortunately On Mars is one of those games with a high learning curve so I think put the expansion back in the box, play On Mars base game a couple of times and then start dabbling with the expansion. Uh, I mean there's four different modes for the expansion and certainly I would stick with one of them and try that a few times before moving on to the rest. Final question, have we considered Lego flowers at the wedding? So Vicky's shaking her head, but looking at me with that, I didn't know this was a thing. So we'll look into that because we both like Lego. So having Lego flowers at the wedding would be quite a cool thing, but I didn't, I don't know if it's a possibility. Do you want to have a look later on? Not now, but have a look later on. Right, we're going to look that up. Um, next question from Augustine. Is there any truth to the rumour that I stole Quinn's eyebrows? Uh... I, I don't know where that rumour originated from. I don't. I, I wasn't aware that Quinn's eyebrows were as as big as mine. But I, for those people who don't know, I my eyebrows grow as fast as my hair. Um, it's one of my superpowers that I was I was granted, um, and I use it to fight crime on a on a daily basis. Um, but I do I do have to trim my eyebrows a lot um, because they they do they do grow pretty much as as fast as my hair. Um, there are several UK board game YouTube channels. There are. Is it a friendly community? Um, I'm not going to answer this completely honestly because it's a little bit of a sore subject for me. Um, unfortunately, the uh, board game community with regards to people who have their own YouTube channels 
is not as friendly as I thought it might be. As far as I'm concerned, we're all friends, we're all in the same hobby, and we're all doing the same thing. But unfortunately, there are some cliquey groups, especially with the very popular names, especially with the big names, who don't have time for the little people uh, and have developed their own little clique. Um, and it, w it was very clear to me probably about three or four years ago that my face just doesn't fit uh, with that group. I, I tried very hard when I started to, to you know, be friends with everybody and, and get involved in that, but it was made, as I say, it's a little bit of a sore subject um, because I've been treated, uh, I've been excluded from, from the inner circle of the, of the big names. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some very, very friendly content creators out there, not just in the UK. Um, so people like Tom Heath from Slicker Drips, Mike Dennis from Ready Steady Play, uh, Luke Hector uh, from The Broken Meeple, uh, people who I talk with all the time, very friendly, very supportive and everything else. And recently, there's a couple of people that I'd like to give a shout out to. Um, I've been having a lot of technical issues recently, especially with regards to microphones and sound issues. And there's a few people over in um, in the States that are content creators that I've reached out to. Uh, so Roy, who uh, does a lot of the sound from the Dice Tower, he's been very helpful in the past. Uh, I've reached out to um, uh, David from Man vs. Meeple, he's been very helpful. Mark Meyer from Board Game Coffee, always got time for me and I've always got time for Mark so he's been very very helpful uh, and also Francis and Anthony uh, formerly for Mantlab Games but now Board Game Nexus super nice people I don't talk to them that much but whenever I reach out to them and I'm in need of help they are always supportive and they all they're always there so yeah that's just a that there's a lot of people in the UK content creator environment that are super super friendly and always willing to help and then there are other ones who shut the door on you and don't want anything to do with you. So that's just that's just how it is. Um, next question from Mick. Uh, am I planning to play Aeon's End or Spirit Island anytime soon? So, uh, yes and no. So I was planning a stream of Spirit Island um, when we got back from holiday. However, uh, and it was all planned that it was actually going to be a Spirit Island stream with Handelabra Games, the the, 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 the developers of Spirit Island digital adaptation. I was going to be doing a live stream with them where we play Spirit Island. Unfortunately, EasyJet have cancelled my flight home, which means I've had to rebook a flight and it's ended up being a couple of days later, which means I'm going to miss the day of the live stream. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, I've, I had that planned, but that's now not going to be happening. Other than that, I, I don't have any plans. They are both games that I love. I love both Aeon's End and Spirit Island. The digital adaptations are very good. Uh, I currently don't have any plans to play them, but on the list of games that I want to play a lot more, they are on there. Um, because, to be honest, if I get an hour or two free one night... Uh, I can quite easily just pop on and do, you know, do a game of, of, of either of those. Um, do I have any thoughts on player counts for games? Different styles of games work for different player counts. Uh, so Mick is curious as to my high-level thoughts on this uh, and interpret the question in any way which makes sense. Well, I refer back to the very start of this um, show where I talked about Sky Mines. And how I feel at the moment that Sky Mines is best as a four-player game. Now, Sky Mines has a solo mode, which I'll be trying on Saturday. And the solo mode of Sky Mines is me with one other player. And I've never played Mombasa at two players. But at the moment, my brain is telling me Mombasa will not work at two players. And therefore, 
Sky Mines will also not work as two players. Now, it will work, but whether it will work well as a two player game without any bots for the third player, I don't know. Because if you don't know the game, basically there are four different companies vying for control of the moon. Players are not in control of those companies, but players can invest in those companies. And when you're expanding with a company, what you want to be doing is you want to be expanding with the company that gives you the biggest benefits, which might end up hurting another player. And the interaction between which players expand different companies and the fact that you have multiple players investing in the same company and are therefore they're both interested in making that company do well. That's really good in a four player game. It was slightly less in a three player game and I'm not sure about a two player game. So you're absolutely right, Mick, that uh, different player counts work for different player games. I personally would not want to play uh, a four player game of some of my favorite games of all time. Mage Knight, Uthea, Through the Ages. For those games, oh, and Spirit Island, right? Those four games, if I had four players here, I would 99% of the time want to play something else, even if I was really in the mood for one of those games. In fact, what I'd do is I'd say, you two go and play Mage Knight, and me and somebody else will play Uthea. That's what I'd do, because those four games, I think, work much better at two to three players than they do at four players. Um, so yeah, I, I have thought on player counts for games, and that does affect my choice of what game to play. So if it's game night and three people turn up, well, three's a great number, but okay, four people turn up for Mage Knight, sorry, four people turn up for Games Day, do we play Mage Knight? No, we'll probably play Sky Mines, because I think that probably works best at four player. Whereas if only one other person came round, it would be, should we play Sky Mines? No, well, let's play Mage Knight. So yeah, it, it, it does depend. Um, final question from Mick, do I have any plans to do a, another learn the game in real time from the rulebook video? So for those who don't know, I've, I've done this a few times on the channel. It's where I literally do a live stream where I am learning how to play the game from the rulebook. I did a few of them in the past and they seemed quite popular, but over the last year or so, I have only done them as Patreon only streams. And that is because I am due to cover that game later on. So, for example, on Saturday, I am going to be doing a live playthrough of the solo mode for Skymines. I don't know how to play the solo mode of Skymines yet. So on Friday, and I haven't actually told anybody this yet, but on Friday, probably in the afternoon, I am going to be doing a Patreon-only stream where I learn how to play the solo mode of Skymines and play through it. And the reason why that's going to be Patreon only is because there is going to be an actual public playthrough on the Saturday. Therefore, I don't feel that I... The Patreon only one is more a... Oh, it's a behind the scenes look at what Paul, Paul's getting up to in preparation for his actual streams that he's doing on the Saturday. So yeah, so I, I do have plans to do one this Friday, but it, it won't be a public stream. It'll just be a Patreon only stream. Um, but for those people who aren't Patreon supporters who don't want to watch that, you will get to see the solo mode on Saturday. Right, next questions from Radek. Uh, do I still enjoy Perseverance? Yes, uh, and I played a game of it at Manacon. Unfortunately, I did only play episode one, so I've played episode one now more times than I've played episode two, and I want to play episode two more, because it's always with new people, and I always want to start with episode one. So yeah, I, I do really enjoy Perseverance. 
There's a couple of bits about it which are not my favourite, but overall I think it's a very good game. I still don't know whether I prefer Perseverance or Anachrony in terms of Mind Clash games games. I'm leaning towards Anachrony, but Perseverance is probably my, my second favourite. Next question, on Mars, Kanban EV or Weather Machine, which one do I like the best? Probably Kanban EV. Now, if you'd have asked me this question a few months ago, I would have said on Mars, but the last couple of times I've played Kanban EV, I've enjoyed it more than I thought. So it's close between those two, but at the moment I'm going to lean to Kanban EV. But if you ask me again in a couple of months, if I get a chance to play on Mars again, it might be on Mars. I enjoy both of those games a lot. They are definitely up there with my favourite Lacerda games. And the final question uh, from Radek is, what do I think about the future of crowdfunding platforms such as Kickstarter or GameFound? With the rising cost of raw materials, transport and taxes contributing to their slow decline. Um, oh, will the rising cost of raw materials, transport and taxes contribute to their slow decline? I would have thought so. In fact, I am, and I'm sure I've said this recently, either in the last month's live Q&A or in the video log, that I am still surprised to this day that games, expensive games that are coming out on crowdfunding platforms, yeah, I think it was last month's live Q&A, are doing as well as they do. Um, and, I, and I spoke last month about the fact that the position I'm in, the fortunate position that I'm in as a full-time content creator who works in the hobby, I get sent a lot of games without having to pay the cost of them. That is just one of the perks of the job that I do. Now, if you're sat there thinking, oh, that's not fair, Paul gets free games, just as a reminder, this is my full-time job. This is what I do. I don't have any other source of income. So getting a free game and then spending 8, 15 hours covering that game, sometimes which I don't get paid for, um, you know, getting a free copy of the game is, yeah. Anyway, it does mean that I am in the fortunate position where I am not having to pay very, very high prices for games because of production costs, but also the transport costs right now are through the roof. And I think what I said last month, and it, I, I feel the same now, is... And a lot of people watching this video are people who back those games and pay those extortionate, if extortionate is the right word to use, probably not, but extremely high transport costs. People are still backing those games and people are still paying that amount of money. And that surprises me. I thought that it would have been a slow and steady decline with more and more people saying, I tell you what, I'm, I'm not prepared to pay the same amount to ship me the game as it would be for me to buy the game myself. But it doesn't seem to be affecting it. Um, games are coming out on Kickstarter all the time and still doing really, really well and making a huge amount of money. So, yeah, I would have thought it would have had more effect than it actually has. Next question from Rodrigo. When learning a new game from the rulebook, do I usually write notes or reminders so that I could relearn it and remember it easier in the future? I don't. But this is something that Vicky has told me that I really should do for the last few years, is whenever I play a game, at the end of that game, anything which I think that's going to be a tricky rule to remember, write it on a post-it and put it in the box lid. And I never do. Uh, and I, So I've never done it, but I agree it could be a really good idea. So top tip on how you remember rules for games is after you've played the game, scribble a few notes down on a post-it, Stick it on the inside of the box or stick it on the inside of the rule book uh, and then it's there as a reminder for, for next time. I don't do that and then I, I sometimes, you know, run afoul of that. 
Uh, next question from Avron. Are there any games that I've played recently that are well outside my preferred type of games that I enjoyed enough to add to my collection? So I can answer the first part of that. But the second part of that, have I played a game enough that I would choose to add it to my collection? Again, the position that I'm in as a content creator is that I don't generally go out and, and play a game at somebody else's and then buy it myself. Um, because I already have enough games to, to cover on the channel. Um, there are a couple that I've played recently. So one of them that comes to mind is Pictures. So Pictures is a game from P.D. Verlag that actually won the Spiel des Jahres Award in 2020. And I remember when that year's awards were announced and it was like, oh, and the winner is Pictures. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, move on, never heard of it. And then earlier this year, uh, local friends of mine were playing it, brought it round and we played it. And it was like, oh, actually, this is, this, is, this is a good game. This is a good game because... Uh, it's a game that I can play with families. It's a game that will be good in the Gridcon library. And it's a game that me and Vicky decided we wanted to have in our games collection. So I contacted PD Verlag and they were very happy to send me a review copy of the game because, yeah, it will be added to the Gridcon library. Um, so that that is a game. But I wouldn't have said that was a game which was outside of my normal wheelhouse. A few years ago, it was. Yeah. Four or five years ago, anything which was described as a fun family game that's very light on rules is not the kind of game that I normally play. But over the last few years where we've been enjoying such games as Just One, So Clover and all sorts of things like that, even Wavelength, uh, which I don't have in my collection, but is another game that I quite enjoyed, more and more games like that are being added to my collection because I do enjoy them and there is definitely a place for them. Um, but in terms of the first part of the question, any games I've played recently that are well outside my preferred style of game that I enjoyed a lot more? Yes. I mean, if we look at Batman Gotham City Chronicles, on paper, Batman Gotham City Chronicles is my worst kind of game ever. It's very much uh, lots and lots of dice rolling, lots of dice for resolution. And as most people who know the kind of games that I like, is I don't like dice for resolution. I want something with... Um, less output randomness. I don't mind input randomness, but I don't like output randomness, which is dice for resolution. However, um, that is a game which I've played quite a few times and actually quite enjoy playing. So I think, you know, and I've spoken about this many times, is that my taste in games has evolved over the years. And certainly over the last five or so years, I've been becoming more open to trying things which, you know, five, ten years ago, I, I wouldn't have even bothered trying. And I'm not saying that that's my favourite style of game, and I'm not saying that I'm going to sell all of my Euro games and start playing Warhammer, but I'm just saying that I've been branching out and expanding into different kind of games, that, that and I've, I've been able to enjoy those games. Next question from Keith. Uh, what was the last time that I decided not to accept or buy a game that I was interested in? And this is a, a really interesting question, and I think I know what you mean by this, Keith. A game that I was interested in that I actually said no when a publisher offered me a copy of it or I didn't buy a game that I was interested in. So on the latter one, I don't generally go out and buy games that I'm interested in anymore because on these shelves around me, I currently have about 25 games which I want to cover on the channel 
and I haven't got time to cover. Therefore, if I was to go, oh, there's a new game, I might go and buy that. If I go out and I buy it, then I want to cover it on the channel. I, yeah, I don't have time. So at the moment, I'm not in a position where I'm going out and buying any new games because I don't have time to cover the ones on the channel that I already want to channel, uh, that I already want to cover. But in terms of saying no to games that I'm interested in, I've actually been doing this. So this has been one big change for me over the last 12 months. Before 12 months ago, if a publisher contacted me and said, Paul, we've got a new Euro style game that we think you'd enjoy. We'd like to send you a copy of it for your review. And I would go back to them and I, could, I would say, I can't promise that I'm going to do a review of it. I can't promise that I'm even going to get a chance to play it anytime soon. But when I do, I'll talk about it in the video log. And then it would be up to them. And they would say, that's okay. We're happy to send it to you. And if you get a chance to play it, great. And if you get a chance to talk about it, great. But don't feel any obligation. And 12 months ago, I would always say yes. Because why wouldn't I? It's a game that I'm interested in. A publisher is offering me a free copy of the game. I might play the game and I might enjoy it. But over the last 12 months, and my Patreon supporters will know this because I talk about it now and again on the Slack channel, the feeling of being completely overwhelmed is still there and it's still an ongoing issue. I have a Google Sheet of all of the games that I want to cover on the channel. And the reason I've made that list is because it was therapeutic for me to make the list because I was feeling completely overwhelmed by all of these games that I have that I haven't covered on the channel that I want to cover on the channel and I feel I should cover on the channel. And it was just getting more and more and more. So I made the list in order to try and sort my brain out and hopefully try and keep things under control. However, that list is still growing and more games are arriving and the list isn't getting any shorter. It's, it's roughly staying about the same, but it isn't getting any shorter. So I'm currently at the stage where Publishers are still offering me review copies of games, and some of them I'm actually saying no to. Um, now, that said, it is nice to have copies of some of these games in the GridCon library, um, but I always speak to the publisher and I always say, I cannot promise that I'm even going to cover this on the channel. So if you send it to me, I will be very thankful of it, and I can lend it out to friends and it might get played downstairs one night, but it might never get covered on the channel. As long as you're okay with that, and if they are not okay with that, they won't send me a copy of the game. And that's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, and, and Keith says, if never, can you see it occurring anytime soon? So yeah, it is happening. Uh, and there's, a, there's been a few recently where I've had it and I've looked at it and I've gone, oh yeah, a year ago, I would have probably said yes to that. But right now, even though it looks like my kind of game, I just don't have the time to cover all the games that I want to cover. Right, we're going to have a little bit of a break now. I'm going to have a drink. We're going to talk about two things. The first thing we're going to talk about is the contest. So every month as part of this live Q&A, I do a giveaway contest. And all you need to do to enter this contest is to click on the link that Vicky's about to put in the chat. Um, and it's a Google form and you just need to put in your name, your email address and the secret word. And the secret word today is Frosthaven because I'm very excited because my uh, pre-production copy of Frosthaven arrived this week because I'm going to be creating the official how to play videos for the game. So yeah, so my copy of Frosthaven has arrived. It's not quite a final, final version, um, but yeah, it, it's a copy of Frosthaven and it's in the UK and it's in my house. 
Well, at least I thought it was in my house, but I don't know. Did, the, did you hear the door go half an hour ago? I think Peter might have come round and stolen it um, while I wasn't looking. Anyway, so yeah, the secret word is Frosthaven. And all you need to do to enter this contest is click on the link, go to the form, fill it in. And what I will do at the start of, uh, on the day of the next live Q&A, I will do the draw. So earlier on today, I did the draw for last month's Q&A. And the winner is Vic Gabri. Vic's been a supporter of mine for, I think, a couple of years now. Uh, so congratulations, Vic. And if you're watching this video and you haven't seen your email yet, go and check your email, check your junk folder, uh, but you have won. So the contest is to win £50 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. £25 of those vouchers come from Games Law themselves and £25 comes from me. Um, so yeah, it's £50 of games vouchers that you can win. If you are a patron supporter of mine, then if you enter the contest, you get an extra entry. Basically, I put all of the entries into a hat, and if you're a patron supporter, you get an extra entry in. And sometimes patron supporters win, uh, and other times, like not last month, but the previous month, uh, somebody who isn't a patron supporter wins. So it's completely random who wins, but if you're a patron supporter, you get extra entries. Right, that's the contest. So if you, if you wanna click on that link now, while you're watching this, enter the contest, Enter the word Frosthaven as the secret word and you might win £50 of games vouchers. The second thing that I wanted to mention is this Saturday. This Saturday, there is a 24-hour charity board gaming event happening, um, which is being held in Somerset. Now, I'm not able to attend that event. It is an event which you can go to uh, and you can buy tickets for and you can go there and you can play games all day if you want to. It's the boardgamemarathon.co.uk. That's the website. But because I'm not able to attend the event in person, I'm doing a couple of live streams on Saturday and they are for charity. So basically the person who organizes the event, Dan, has got a Just Giving page and I'm gonna be raising money uh, on Saturday. So I'm gonna be doing two live streams. I'm gonna be doing Lost Ruins of Arnak solo game in the morning. And then I'm gonna be, be doing Sky Mines solo playthrough in the afternoon. Uh, and yeah, if you're interested in watching either of those and contributing to the charity, either or, then that's happening on Saturday. Right, next question from Phil. Did we need to do anything special so that Thor and Loki managed the heat wave in good condition? We didn't do anything. I mean, we made sure their water was topped up, but they didn't seem to struggle in the heat whatsoever. Um, yeah, they, they were just acting as normal. They didn't seem even more fatigued. Yeah, it's, it's like they didn't know it was happening. So yeah, we didn't need to do anything. Next question from Phil. Phil's seen a couple of pre-Gen Con videos this week and Essen will be careering over the horizon sooner than we think. For games that I know about, is there anything that I'm excited to see and release in the next two or three months? I've got thoughts on this, Phil. So I've got, I've got two thoughts on it. First of all, there are a number of content creators who in the last week or so have been putting out these videos, which are all these videos always get tens of thousands of views and are massively, massively popular on here's all the new games that are coming out at Gen Con. I don't have one of those videos because I'm not going to Gen Con, but even if I wasn't going to Gen Con, surely I could still do one of those videos, but no publishers approach me and ask me to create anything like that. And some of those people I think do sponsored videos. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but I have absolutely no idea what's coming out at Gen Con other than the games from publishers which I know about. So CGE, for example, I believe is releasing the uh, the next Galaxy Trucker expansion at Gen Con. But other than that, 
I get the occasional email through from the occasional publisher. Um, but yeah, I don't really know what's coming out at Gen Con. And the other thing that surprised me is Tom Heath from Slicker Drips did a, uh, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, where he did a live stream where he was going through the current Essen release list. And I'm like, what? Essen release list already? Wow. So Tom's already on the ball. I am so far off the ball. The ball is a million miles away. I have absolutely no idea except for Woodcraft from Delicious Games, which I've been known has been coming for a long time, and I mentioned it earlier on, uh, and the new games from CGE, which is Deal with the Devil, um, which I've known about for about six years. Um, so yeah, it, at, at some point <laughs> in the next month or two, I really do need to have a look at what's coming out at Essen, because right now I'm a little bit in the dark about what's, what's coming out. Uh, right. Next question from James, and this is a good one, and I just noticed that James is actually in the chat right now. Um, are there any board game terms that annoy me, such as crunchy, haul, etc., etc.? No, there are no board game terms that annoy me. I am somebody who uses the word Ameritrash as a descriptive name and not a derogatory name. Um, so pretty much all, but and, and I know people that get annoyed by certain board game terms. And not that I'm on Twitter anymore, but one of the problems with board game social media is if you use a term that some people decide is offensive or not appropriate, then you're going to start an absolute flame war just from saying a word. I use board game terms to be descriptive for me. If you describe a game to me as a merry trash, I know what you mean. If you described a game to me as more of a Euro-style game, I know what you mean. So for me, I find those terms useful as long as people are using them correctly. And of course, everybody uses the terms a bit loosely. So your definition of a Euro might be different from my definition of a Euro. But for me, I, I find pretty much most descriptive terms useful. So yeah, nothing, nothing annoys me. Uh, well, say nothing annoys me. Board game terms don't annoy me. <laughs> uh, Paul Snuggles has got a couple of questions. Miniature painting, contrast paints or base and wash? And the answer is both. Um, I do a lot of miniature painting and I've bought into the new Citadel contrast range and I've been having a lot of, um, a lot of success with using them, but in certain places. So for me, contrast paints are another... Uh, another tool that I can use in certain circumstances, but I am certainly not using them as the be-all and end-all panacea of everything. Okay, there are certain contrast paints that I've got where when I use them as intended, like you paint them over a, a slightly off-white base coat, the end result is awful. Um, so for example, my hazmat thugs and my prisoners from Batman Gotham City Chronicles, they are yellow, and they are orange. What I did with both of those figures, I painted them a base coat of yellow and a base coat of orange, and then I used the contrast as a wash. Now that's a very expensive wash, but the contrast colors are really good. So I I've been actually using the contrast colors in some cases as if they were a wash applied over another base coat. And I've been having a lot of success with that. Now the new range of contrast paints has come out, which I haven't had time to try out yet. Um, but a lot of those are very, very vibrant colours. So yeah, they're quite exciting. Second, what is my favourite cooperative game where players play together versus the game? 
Spirit Island. Yeah, Spirit Island is still my number one favourite cooperative game. There's a lot of them that I really enjoy. You know, I love Aeon's End, I love Gloomhaven, um, I love Mage Knight Cooperative and things like that. But the best one for me, which really makes people work together as a group, is Spirit Island. So, Spirit Island. And the final question from Zoktol, even though you came in after I'd said no more questions, um, what do I think is the most important thing when teaching a game at a convention? So, I'm, the reason why I snuck your question in is, I don't know if you know this, and I don't know how many other people watching this know this, but I've actually written a paper and done seminars on how to teach people games at conventions. So... I could, right now, talk for at least 45 minutes, possibly an hour, over the best way of teaching people a game at a convention. Um, because I spent two years researching it, uh, and then I spent five years doing it professionally, and as I say, I've written papers on it, and I've done seminars on it, and talks on it, uh, and the method which I use for demoing people how to play games at conventions has been picked up and adopted by a number of publishers. So the most important thing when teaching people how to play games at a convention is that you need to remember that you are teaching people, you, you are doing a demo of a game at a convention. In general, if you are at a convention and you are trying out a game, you want to try out the game to see if it's the kind of game for you and your playgroup and you need to get started playing ASAP. You want to see what the game's like. What you don't want, and I'm not saying everybody's like this but in general if you are at a convention what you do not want is a 45 minute explanation of all of the rules of the game and then somebody to walk away from the table and leave you to sit there for three hours playing that is not how you demo games to people at conventions and if you are one of these people that, that do that then i'm sorry but that's not the best way to do it demoing a game at a convention is not the same as teaching your friends how to play on a game night. When you're demoing a game at a convention, the reason people are playing the game at the convention is they want to see what the game's like and they want to see if they would enjoy playing it. And the best way of doing that is that you get started, you start playing the game as soon as possible, you explain the rules to people as you go along. You're not even gonna play a full game. Go into it knowing you're not gonna play a full game. We're not gonna even bother with the scores because we're not going to play a full game and you need to get people playing as soon as possible. There is nothing worse for me than going to a convention and getting a 30 or 40 minute rules explanation and then the person walks away from the table. That is not how you demo games to people at conventions. Right, that is, a, that is the end of all of the questions that we've been asked on the Guild in advance. And thank you very much for all of those questions. Um, what I do, just, just for those people who don't know, um, is... I get those questions and I spend about an hour, hour and a half just reading through them and preparing my answers so that I'm a little bit more prepared. Now, some of them, I'm, I, I'm still not able to think of answers even in that hour and a half, um, but, but that's what I do. And that's what the patron support is for. So a big thank you to all of my patron supporters that make these videos possible. And if you're wondering why I need the support of the patron in order to create videos like this, because surely I'm doing this at five o'clock, Surely that's the end of the working day. Well, it's actually taken me about three or four hours today and yesterday to prepare for this live Q&A. And that is time away from the paid work in order to produce this content. I'm not saying I don't enjoy producing this content. I do, but it does take a lot of work behind the scenes to make this content possible. And that's what the Patreon support is for. So if you're not a Patreon supporter, but you want to support the channel directly, uh, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. 
if you want to just put the link in there um, and your support is very much appreciated. I realize that the current global situation with all of the things that are going wrong at the moment is difficult. Um, but yeah, if you are in a position to be able to support me on Patreon, that would be great. Right. Let's move on to the live questions. Uh oh. So these are questions that I've not seen and I've not had any time to prepare for. And this is the part that I'm always really nervous about. Because some of these questions are going to be really taxing, really personal, and I'm going to find it really difficult to answer some of these questions. And it always, this is where my blood pressure starts to rise and my, uh, my nervousness starts to, starts to kick in. And a very good example of that is the first question we've got here, chips or pretzels? I mean, that is such a fundamentally personal question that I'm not sure I could answer that without, um, I, I've never been a big fan of pretzels. However, no, I haven't. Pretzels is not something which I would have said I would voluntarily choose to go out and buy. But every time I have pretzels, I'm like, oh, I really like these. And they're very Moorish. Is that because they're salty? Okay, Vicky's nodding. I'm like... <laughs> um, so, yeah, so... To be honest, lumping crisps together... I told you this question was a big one. Lumping all crisps together under the banner of crisps is tricky because there are certain crisps that I would put ahead of pretzels and there are certain crisps that I would put below pretzels. So, for example, those crisps that you get that are actually vegetables that are dehydrated or turned into crisp form, whatever, they're amazing, right? If you, know, if you don't know what I mean, go and look it up. But it's basically crisps that are beetroot, parsnips, and all different kinds of vegetables that are in crisp form. They are amazing. They are ahead for me than pretzels. But um, your normal cheap crisps down at the bottom that you get buy in packets, they are probably below pretzels. So yeah, it depends on the crisps. Another, another really deep, meaningful question now from Joe. What would I rather be, Batman or Superman? Now that's an interesting one because the personalities of those characters is very, very different. Superman is obviously got loads and loads of powers and super strength and super this and super that. And, and, and Superman's weakness is kryptonite, but he doesn't have any personality flaws. He's just Superman. Whereas Batman is Batman, right? And he's full of anger and full of all of that stuff and everything else. And he doesn't have actual any superpowers himself. So if you're asking me which would I rather be, I think I... The character that I associate with more is Batman. The, the, the troubled individual who's struggling and angry and got all of this stuff going on and whatever. Superman's got it easy. But which would I rather be? I'd rather be Superman because, yeah, I think I think he doesn't have all of that stuff going on in his, in his head and he just goes around being super. Um, next question from uh, Ross. Oh, this is in relation to the previous. How do I rate Monster Munch? I've not had Monster Munch for years. Is Monster Munch one of those ones which started out this big? And over the years, and it's now like the size of a polo, or po although polos are probably now the size of a pea. Um, how do I rate Monster Munch? Monster Munch, I mean, are they technically crisps? I don't know. 
And I just realised we're talking about crisps. And our American audience is probably have no idea what we're talking about. So for the American audience, when I say crisps, what I mean is chips. Um, yeah, what you call chips, we call crisps. So Monster Munch, I mean, I do enjoy Monster Munch. It depends on the flavour, really depends on the flavour. But they're fun. And what's weird about Monster Munch and all other crisps that are like it is that they're like this big and then you put them in your mouth and you crunch them and they dissolve to like almost nothing. A um, couple of questions from Scott. What mountain is that behind you? Uh, I've absolutely no idea. Um, what I did early, earlier on today, I decided that Frosthaven was going to be the keyword. So I thought I'll have an icy background. So I searched, I just Googled Antarctica uh, and found an image of a mountain in Antarctica. Well, I assume so. I Googled Antarctica and that image came up. So yeah. Uh, would you need to be in thermal socks if you were to climb it? Finally, we've had a sock question from Scott. When was the last time we had a, a sock question from Scott? It's been, it's been a long time, Scott. So thank you very much for the sock question. Would I need thermal socks if I was to climb it? Absolutely, yes. Next question from Ezra. Would I log my gameplays if not for the vlog? Why do people log plays? Oh, that's a really good question. So the honest answer is I'm the kind of person who likes keeping records of things so the fact that i log my play i like to be able to look and go oh i've played this 17 times on this day this day and this day now i'm not the kind of person that logs scores or anything else but i'm the kind of person who likes to log their stuff the question is would i log it if i didn't need to log it in order to do the video log and the honest answer is i would get out of the habit uh, and i would i would probably stop logging them so yeah the honest answer is I would I would log some of them and not log other ones, but I like the fact that the doing the monthly video logs encourages me to log all of my plays so that I then know what to talk about in the video log. Why do people log plays? Well, I think a lot of, um, in fact, let's ask that question on the guild. Okay, so Chrissy, who's watching this video, either now or later on, is going to turn this into a question on the guild. So what we're going to do is we're going to start a new discussion thread on the guild, guild number 2258 on BGG. For those people who log their plays, why do you log your plays? And the question is as simple as that, and you can answer it in as much detail as you want. So at some point, hopefully later on today, uh, there will be a new discussion thread on the guild. Uh, if you're interested, join the guild. Vicky's put a link in the chat now. Uh, and we'll start the question of why do you log your plays? Uh, and I would like to know of the people who do log their plays, how much detail do they log? Like for me, I just log my play. I don't log any of the scores. I don't log who I'm playing with or anything like that. But I know some people log all of the details. Next question from Joe. What's my favourite heavy, really heavy Euro? Um, well, if we're talking really heavy, I mean, Through the Ages is still one of my favourite games of all time. Mage Knight is still one of my favourite games of all time. So they are up there, and I personally would class them as really heavy. I mean, for me, Mage Knight and Through the Ages, like I mentioned earlier on, I know all of the rules to those games without needing to look anything up in the rule. But maybe not the Mage Knight expansion stuff but certainly the, the, the main game of it, and certainly all of through the ages. So that it's probably those. Uh, in terms of which ones am I playing recently, it all depends where you draw on the line. I mean, you've said heavy, brackets, really heavy. Would you class Perseverance as really heavy? I would class it as 
heavy. I'm not sure I would class it as really heavy. Um, but it, yeah, it all depends what I've been what I've been playing recently. Um, so yeah, Scott saying they're not Euros. Well, through the ages, I think is a Euro game personally, um, just from the the lack of randomness in it. Uh, Wei Jen says, "What's my favourite curry?" Oh, I have a few. So the local curry house to us. Uh, shout out to the local curry house in Columpton, which is the North Sitara. There's actually two, but the North Sitara is is the better one. Uh, they do a number of really, really nice curries. Uh, and one of their specials is called the Modhu Meter, which I can't even remember what's in it. But that you you like that one as well. We both like it. So, um, yeah, I like my curries tasty, not too hot. A little bit of spice, but not too hot. But I like ones that are made with, um, I mean, what's in it? Chili, yeah, I know. But chicken, but it's got ginger and things like that in it i can't remember but yeah it's really nice it's a special from our local curry house um stefan uh will i do the q a with jammy jolly about Oathsworn when he gets better uh yeah so interesting i've no plans to do that but i did an unboxing video for Oathsworn a few weeks ago and jamie jolly the designer of Oathsworn, was supposed to join me um, in the live Q&A and it was going to be like a joint broadcast where I talked to him and everything else. Unfortunately, he was really ill um, and he wasn't able to make it. Now, I did meet up with Jamie at um, Manacon. Jamie was there at Manacon, just there playing games and I taught him how to play Endless Winter uh, and that was really nice to see him out of his work zone and actually just playing games for a change because a lot of people don't realise or, or forget that these people, when you go to a convention, and you see these people working at a booth, either designers or publishers, a lot of them are gamers. And a lot of them, when taken out of their work environment, they are playing games just like the rest of us. And it was really nice to see Jamie without his waistcoat on, actually you know, playing games uh, and seeing what kind of games he likes. But no, I've no plans to do that because the, the, the best time for that would have been during the unboxing. So I'm not sure... I think he's probably covered all of the questions now about the game, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Not saying no for the future. Um, next question from Jill. Can I spell C-E-I-L-I-D-H-G? Yes, it's it's C-E-I-L-I-D-H-G. That's how you spell it. Well, she said, how do you spell it? Not not how you say it. That's oh, but that's not how you spell it. OK, Vicky will tell you how it's spelt. But it, you're almost right, to be honest. Um, I, yeah, but it's spelled, it's pronounced Kaylee, but it is it is spelled something like C E I D I L H, something like that. Anyway, um, what's the, the next question from Zod? What is the toughest co-op game that you've ever played? So I once played Ghost Stories, and Ghost Stories is generally regarded as probably the toughest cooperative game that there is. Now, Spirit Island is also really tough, but Ghost Stories is like almost impossibly hard. So it's got to be that one. Uh, I didn't enjoy it that much. It was probably, it was many, many, many years ago. It was probably about 10 years ago. And I remember playing it and I remember playing it once. And when I played it, I wasn't aware of the reputation that Ghost Stories had for being stupidly hard. I've also played, what's that game set in World War One in the trenches? Card game, I'm looking at you. You've got, you'll, you'll have no idea. Um... Somebody in the chat will know. It's a card game by the French artist, one of the French artists who got killed in that shooting thing. Um, Grizzled, that's it. Thank you very much, Peter. I have played the Grizzled a few times. 
but I've actually beaten the Grizzled. We've actually beaten the Grizzled once. That is a really, really tough game. Um, next question uh, from JP. How many games do I keep in my personal collection? Um, the best answer to that would be if you go onto Board Game Geek uh, and look up the user ID Paul Grogan, you can see my collection. It is mostly up to date. I think it's up to date. I think if we exclude expansions, there's about 700, 750, something like that. It's too many. Uh, I will be the first to admit that I have got more games than I need. And there is at least 100 to 200 games that I could probably get rid of as they are likely to never get played again. But because we run the GridCon library, there are certain games which I keep because it's nice to have a copy of them. Um, next question from Adam. Uh, any GridCon news? Yes, so I can give you the current situ the current situation of GridCon. GridCon, for those who don't know, is the convention which me and Vicky organise. It happens every year, um, unless there's a global pandemic. Uh, and the next one, which is GridCon 3, is happening in November this year. We made tickets available to the public a couple of weeks ago. Those tickets are now sold out. We are We've currently sold 260 tickets. So it's amazing that we're sold out. Um, but we have got, we've got a meeting with the hotel in September and at that meeting we are going to be uh, measuring the tables, getting the exact measurements of the rooms and working out the table layout. Once we've done the table layout we will know uh, a, a better idea of how many people we can get into there. It's going to be somewhere between 275 and 300. Somewhere between that is the number that we think we can have. So we are going to be making some more tickets available, but it might not be many. So if you're watching this and you want to come to GridCon, uh, it's happening on November the 11th to November the 13th. Keep an eye on the GridCon Facebook page because I will announce on there when the tickets are going to be on sale. I will give everybody a week's notice and then there will be a certain day where the tickets go on sale and they will it will be first come first served. Um, right, next question from Kay Hewitt. Who would make the best board gamer and why? Stevie Wonder, Pingu or Paul Gascoigne? Where do people get these questions from? So who would make the best board gamer? Stevie Wonder, Pingu or Paul Gascoigne? Now, not Pingu because he's a, a penguin made of clay. Um, now, Stevie Wonder, am I right in thinking Stevie Wonder's blind? So Stevie Wonder, if he had somebody with him who was able to, because I've, I have a vague memory of playing games with somebody once, years and years and years ago, who was blind. I, I've had this memory just pop into my head. I don't know where it's come from, but I think at some point in the past, I've played board games with somebody who was blind and they sat next to somebody who was telling them all of the stuff. So you've drawn a card, they whisper to them, and they were, and they were, they were able to do it. It's not something, I, and it might be a false memory, but it literally just popped into my head. If you have had any experience with playing board games with a blind board gamer, please let me know, because I'm really curious to know uh, how that how that ended. Or Paul Gascoigne. So, I don't know. I... Which one of those would make the best board gamer and why? I think Stevie Wonder. So as long as Stevie Wonder had somebody who was able to tell him, you know, what was going on, I think he would probably make the better board gamer. 
Not Pingu, obviously, for obvious reasons, but rather than Paul Gascoigne. Um, I don't really know Paul Gascoigne very well. I mean, he keeps ringing me up once every week, but I, I, I'm not interested, Paul. Keeps trying to sell me double glazing. Um, but I just get the impression that, and this might be right or wrong, that Paul is not the kind of person who would want to sit down and play a board game and not take it seriously. Whereas Stevie Wonder I'm, I'm best friends with. So, yeah. It's <laughs> a really good question. But yeah, really random question. Um, next question from Dimitri. Uh, I often mention Jaffa Cakes. So if I had my own Jaffa Cakes trademark, how would I call my Jaffa Cakes? That's another good question. Because Jaffa Cakes is not a trademark. This is the thing. Um, Jaffa Cakes, the original Jaffa Cakes come from McVitie's, but it's not trademarked. So you will find lots of other companies making Jaffa Cakes and they can call them Jaffa Cakes because the name Jaffa Cake is not is not a trademark. I don't know why they didn't trademark it, but if I had my own brand of Jaffa Cakes, what would I call them? Paul's Jaffa Cakes? I mean, the thing is, you'd have to call them Jaffa Cakes because otherwise people wouldn't know what they are. I would say, I'm going to have a think about that one and let you know later, but I don't think I'm going to be able to come up with one. I think we'll go to the chat. If you've got any ideas of what you think I should call my own brand of Jaffa Cakes, then, then let me know. Uh, right. These are some really, really random questions today. Next question from Harry. Uh, where can you find the online solo and new revised rulebook for Batman Chronicles? So the best place, Harry, if you use Discord, uh, we've actually got a Discord channel set up for specific discussions of the rulebook. So there is a monolith Discord channel with, with discussions of all of their games, but I've actually created a standalone Discord channel for discussions of all of the rulebooks, uh, and, and all of that's in there. Um, if you don't use Discord, then it's going to be a bit tricky, um, because to be honest, Discord was the place where we chose to, st to sort out all of the conversation. But if you are a Discord user, and even if you're not a Discord user, just join Discord because I, I put off getting Discord for about two years because I've got Slack and I've got Messenger and I've got all of these other things. And people kept telling me about Discord and I was like, I don't have time to learn anything new. But then I used Discord and went, oh my God, this is fantastic. Um, so yeah, just just take the leap, join Discord. Um, drop me an email if you, if you need an invite for it or the Batman Gotham City Chronicles fan Facebook group there are links on there. But yeah, just get in contact with me and I can send you a link to the Discord channel if you need it. Uh, next question from Mark. How did my opinion about Carnegie versus non-Kickstarter change? How did my opinion about Carnegie Kickstarter versus non-Kickstarter change? I don't think I have opinion on that. I've only got the retail version of Carnegie uh, or Carnegie. Uh, I haven't... Uh, I've played with some of the bonus buildings when I played it on Board Game Arena. Um, but... I, I don't have the Kickstarter version of it or the deluxe version of it. So, yeah. Any games in the same boat where you now wish you had the Kickstarter version? Is that what you mean by, I've got the base game, but I kind of wish I had the deluxe version? Um, I mean, I always wish I've got the deluxe version of a game because it's nicer. But Carnegie is such a fantastic game anyway um, that I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the base game. If I get the deluxe version at some point, then great. Um, yeah, uh, and Mr. Ian O'Toole, I believe, is in the chat. So I don't know if Ian actually, Ian probably didn't mention this. Um, 
Well, you probably didn't know this, in, but when I did my video log from a couple of months ago, I gave you a big shout out and I said how the, the, the artwork and the graphic design on Carnegie is probably your best work yet. Um, so this, this is actually a question for Ian. Ian, if you're still watching, what do you think is the game where the graphic design is the best you've done yet? Um, don't say all of them. <laughs> but I, I thought Carnegie, I thought was was so fantastic. I, I played the first two or three games before realising there was an icon reference on the back of the rulebook. And for me to never have to look at an icon reference, even when learning a game, I thought that was that was very good. Um, next question from Harry: Do I like haggis and beer? Uh, no, and no. <laughs> so um, yeah, haggis is is not. I don't think I've ever had haggis. I've had black pudding once and didn't like it, but I don't think I would enjoy haggis. Um, but beer is not something that I'm a big fan of. Um, I don't drink much beer, if any, really. I'll have a can of cider sometimes, now and again. Um, but no, not, not a big beer drinker at all. Uh, next question is from Sandy. She's been watching my On Mars videos recently. Can I recommend how to teach it to people who might not have the time or inclination to watch my video beforehand? Interesting question, Sandy. So, I get this all the time. And people say to me, Paul, I'm, I'm learning how to play on Mars. I've read the rulebook five times. I've watched your video twice and people are coming round and I've got to teach them how to play. Have you any tips? And the best thing I suggest is send them the link to the video first. And what I always hear back is they don't have time to watch your video. Now, to be fair, the video that I did for on Mars is a 45 minute video. And I absolutely understand that people don't have time to watch a 45 minute, 45 minute video beforehand. However, they then turn up at a games night and said, sorry, I haven't had time to watch the video. And what then happens is a one hour teach of the game. So effectively, it's going to take you that amount of time to learn how to play the game. What the person who sent you that link is, is if you all go away and watch the video on your own time, then we can get started. If you don't have time to watch the video, and I understand that, people are busy, they've got families and whatever, then you're going to have to put that time in. So, Sandy, my best advice is, my video took me two weeks to make, and it took me three days to write the script. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is, that script was written to be what I feel is the best way of teaching the game, the most concise way of teaching the game and the structure of that video I personally believe gives you, although it's long, it gives you the information on how to play the game in the right order. And the best way is if people don't have time to watch the video is when they come round and you sit them down at the start of games night is you get the laptop, you put it on the table and you press play. And it might seem silly and people might be like, well, we don't want to watch your video. You teach us how to play. Now, if you're good at teaching games, that's, that's great. And if you want to teach the game, that's great. But what I'm saying is you shouldn't feel the pressure to know that game 100% absolutely perfectly when I've done that for you. Put in a, put in a video, put in a laptop at the end of the table and, and watching a how to play video, I personally believe is better than the person trying to teach the game themselves. Because especially if it's a video that, you know, one of my how to play videos or any other person who is doing a proper how to play video. And I mean, I'm talking one with no errors, one that's been commissioned by the publisher. 
you can guarantee they're going to get it right. So yeah, that's what I would do. Get the laptop, put it at the end of the table, press play. And if anybody is confused at any point, you press space, pause the video, talk about it, and then carry on. It will take a long time, but trust me, I've done this many, many times. It will take you the same amount of time or less to do it that way than it would be to teach in person. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So Ian is saying the reason why the graphic design in Carnegie is good is because uh, Xavier's rules are nice and clean and therefore there are no weird edge cases. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, we, we could have a big discussion about graphic design here, but you're right. You're right, Ian. A graphic design for a game, if you've got a game which has got lots of exceptions and complicated rules where, oh, it's this, but not if this, oh, but equals to, but only on a Tuesday, not equals to on a Thursday. And then you go, there you go, Mr. Eno tool, come up with an icon that explains that rule. And Ian's like, oh, how am I going to do this? But if the game is clear and relatively simple, then that makes the iconography easier to do. But still, it's a hard job doing iconography. Question from Monica. Long socks, short socks, or toe socks? What are toe socks? Okay, neither of us know what toe socks are, so we're just looking at it. Uh, short socks. I don't wear long socks. I have a pair of long socks accidentally. I don't know how they got into my sock drawer. I think they might be Vickies that accidentally transferred across one day. Um, but toe socks, uh, I'm now being shown a picture of toe socks. Oh, those. No, I've never worn them. It would probably be weird probably be weird. Ask Scott. What does Scott think of toe socks? Next question from Jamie. Jamie's hopefully returning to England next year. Where should you go rather than London? Devon. Absolutely. Come to Devon because then you can pop in and see me and we can play some games together. Um, yeah, it depends when you're, when you say you're returning to England, do you mean returning to England for a holiday or returning to England to live here? Um, but yeah, where should you go other than London? I mean, obviously London is one of those places if you're visiting England a lot of people just go to London spend three days in London and think they've been to England right it, it's not England the different counties in England are as different as the states in America so I it's it's obviously if you go to London on holiday for a few days you've been to England but have you really seen England because the southwest of England is completely different than, than London. And in fact, outside of London is completely different from London. Then you've got the north of England, you've got the northeast of England, you've got the Midlands. It's very, very different. Um, I would certainly recommend the southwest, but we are a few hours away from London. Uh, Sebastian, Captain America or Iron Man? Iron Man, definitely. Well, I love Iron Man. Iron Man's fantastic. So um, yeah, I'm definitely more of an Iron Man person than a Captain America person. Uh, Peter, will Weather Machine be on my top 10 in 2023? I'm not sure. I mean, it's a good question. And I always feel uncomfortable with putting games that I was involved in, in my personal top 10. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It all depends what the games come out that year. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the games that I know is coming out that year. Um, but whether it will be in my top 10, I don't know. Harry is asking, do I watch the Premier League and what is my favourite football club? I don't follow football. I never have, apart from for one year when I was about 13, when I was trying to get in with the cool kids at school. Uh, so I supported Liverpool and bought a Panini sticker album and traded Peter Shilton for Emlyn Hughes and things like that. Um, but no, I've, I've never really followed football. Uh, I don't follow the Premier League and I don't follow any of the other things. I will, however, when it's a big 
World uh, Championship, like the Euros or the World Cup, I, I will I will watch England and, you know, I'll do all of that stuff, but I don't actually know any of the players and I don't watch Premier League. Uh, Keith is asking, did I ever play Avalon Hills Circus Maximus back in the day? I haven't. That is actually one of the very early uh, game, Avalon Hill games, which was around at the time when I was really starting gaming, um, but it's not one that I've played myself. No, actually... I've just had a memory from about 35 years ago pop into my head. I think I did. I think about 30, 35 years ago, I played Circus Maximus. So yeah, I think I have played it, but it was a very, very long time ago. Um, but apparently GMT are producing a game called Charioteer by Matt Calkins of Sekigara. Uh, right, I didn't know that, but maybe that's based on uh, Circus Maximus. Right, next. Monica, how do I feel about print-and-play games? Um, I like the fact that the hobby has print-and-play games because, I mean, we talked about Shoes Tactics earlier on in the video. Shoes Tactics is on Kickstarter right now that you can back for a very cheap price and the advantage of a print-and-play game is you don't have the production costs, you don't have anything else. So the designer has done their work, they've designed a game uh, and they've done the graphic design and everything else, but they charge a small amount for the game there's no production, there's no postage, so we don't have any of that, and you just print it at home. I have absolutely no problems with print and play games. Um, they obviously suit a particular type of game, like you wouldn't want a print and play version of Weather Machine, for example. Um, so there are certain games that are more suited to it, but I have no problems with print and play games. Back in the day where I had more time and was just a gamer and had access to the works color laser printer, I was printing and playing games all the time. Now, I don't really have time to do that because I've got too many other games to play. But yeah, I, I think print and play games are a good thing for the hobby and I'm glad that we have them. Right, let's wrap things up now. It is 20 past six. If you've got any other questions, final questions, put them in the chat now before my battery dies on the camera. We've probably got about 10 minutes left of the battery before it dies. But we've got some uh, Jaffa Cake name answers. So some good names... I say good names. Okay, some names for uh, suggestions for if I was to have my own Jaffa Cake brand. Grogu Cakes, Grogan's Jaffa, PG's Jaffa Cakes, Groger, Groger, Grogaffa Cakes, <laughs> Grogan's Chocolate Covered Fruity Biscuit Cakes. I like that one. Uh, Gaming Jaffa Cake and Big G's Jaffa Cakes. So which one of those should we go for? Which do you think? Vicky's going to highlight the one that she thinks is the best one. I've got my choice. Yeah, that was my choice as well. So, um, Scott, when when Grogan's chocolate fruity biscuit cakes goes into production, uh, I'll give I'll give you a free box. So, yeah, thank you very much for that. So, uh, if we don't have any other questions, I will I will just look to the chat. We'll just have a ten minute chat. I don't get to do this normally. So normally the chat answers. Question? Yeah, normally I don't get to see the questions that come up in the chat um, and I don't get to see much of the conversation that goes on in the chat. Um, but I'm actually going to have a look at the chat now. So what have we got? What word do you see in a game description? Do you say, nope, not interested, semi-cooperative or um, traitor or hidden role or blind bidding? There are, I mean, we're talking mechanisms here, but you did say uh, what game do you see in a game description? And normally a game description would describe the game. So yeah, semi-cooperative game, um, anything with blind bidding, 
is normally a, a bit a bit of a put off. Um, yeah, things like that. Uh, Genway says any advice for Connor anxieties? Absolutely. Find somebody that you know that is going to the con and attach yourself to them with a rope, uh, a virtual rope. What I'm saying is find a buddy who is going to the con, explain to them that you are really nervous about it and you want somebody to hang around with and make sure it's somebody who isn't going to get annoyed with you after 15 minutes because you need somebody to basically be there with, keep you company, everything else. Uh, and if that's me, then I'm, I'm more than happy to do that because I know I know what con anxiety is like. A lot of people look at me uh, and they see me doing these videos and they see me smiling at the camera and all of this lot. And you might have seen me at a convention and you might have seen me at a convention full of energy, demoing games, being really enthusiastic. Okay. Like many people, I suffer from a lot of social anxiety and I hide that by being a little bit extrovert, um, which I'm not. It's completely outside of my character. Um, so I have I have the same feelings. I cover them over and I hide them well by going in completely the opposite direction. Uh, and then when I leave the convention, I go home back to my hotel room or whatever. And then the anxiety is so bad, I end up suffering from insomnia and not being able to sleep. Um, so I know what you mean. Uh, there's a lot of people who I know who suffer from anxiety at conventions. And that would be the the best bit of advice I can give is find somebody who you can latch along to and make sure they know that you're going to be a bit anxious and you're going to be needing some support because if you don't tell them that they might not know how to deal with it um yes and you can attach a rope to me at a convention if you see me at a convention <laughs> right okay uh what other things have we got in the chat oh we got some we haven't had that for a while yeah, thank you for deleting those chat messages. But um, yeah, it was a few months ago. There was this spate of all of these weird spam messages coming. And everybody who was doing live streams at the time was getting all of these weird spam messages. And then it went quiet for a bit. Maybe YouTube fixed it. Um, but it's back again. So thank you very much for getting rid of those. Um, also, yeah, Jamie makes a good point. The first one is the hardest. Once you know what to expect, it gets easier. If you've never been to a board game convention and you're going to your first one, I can absolutely understand how nerve-wracking it can, it can be. And one, because we're convention organizers ourselves, so we organize Gridcon, but I also go to lots of conventions. I've been going to conventions since the 80s, okay? So I've, I've been going to a lot of conventions for a very, very long time. Uh, I've been going to Essen for over 20 years, but I've been going to UK board gaming conventions. I remember going to Manicon in the mid-90s. Um, you know, which was one of the first ones that I went to. But if you've never been to a board game convention and you keep hearing people like me talk about, oh, we're going to these conventions all the time, then yeah, it, it, it might be a bit daunting. So yeah, once you've been to the first one, then yeah, hopefully it gets easier after that. Um, one of the things which uh, a lot of people are worried about is going to a small convention and not being able to get into a game with people because there is an element of you need to walk around and if you see a game that's being set up and it looks like they've got space for one more you need to be comfortable enough to ask them is there space for one more now 90 percent of the time the answer will be yes you've just got to ask or sit at a table set a game up and bring your own looking for players sign if the convention doesn't provide one um that is a sure way we ha we have looking for players signs at gridcon 
uh, and I always get feedback about how popular they are and how they really helped people to find other people. So yeah, that's uh, that's good. Right, what else have we got? Um, Stephen's the chat, never been to any con ever. Yeah, it, it's like, do you need to even go to a convention? Because a lot of people don't like going to conventions. You don't need to, right? If, if you're somebody who doesn't go to conventions, it doesn't matter. You, you are still a, as much of a gamer as the rest of us, even if you don't go to conventions. Conventions give a different experience. And I will be honest with you, there are certain conventions that I've been to over the last 10 years where I wished I hadn't gone to the convention and that instead I stayed at home and played games either with friends or online. So going to conventions is not suddenly, wow, the best experience you will ever have. It is a different experience. And as I say, there are certain times where I would have come, I've come back from the convention and I thought I would have preferred to have just stayed at home and played games with friends for two days. Um, because it's sometimes it's just too much, too much stress, too draining, you know, and the cost, right? The cost for me to get to Essen every year with the travel, the time off work, the hotel costs to go there to play a few new games and come back. It's like a, it's, it's the cost of a holiday. OK, it isn't a cheap thing to go to. Now, if you're going to a convention in the UK and you manage to get a and b or, a, or an Airbnb for like 30 quid a night and the convention's 30 quid, then yeah, 100 quid for a gaming weekend. Brilliant. But the ones where you travel to a different country and you've got flights and everything else, it, it can be very expensive. Uh, James is asking, are there still any Grail games that I am after? Yes, there are. OK, so there are a few games which I feel I should have in my collection. And if anybody who happens to be sat in the same room with me at the moment who's wondering maybe what I might like for a future birthday or Christmas present. Um, Fields of Arl is a game which I feel I should own. I've played Fields of Arl four or five times. I think it's a fantastic game and I currently do not have a copy in my collection. Now, please don't, no matter how generous you're all feeling, please don't all rush out and buy me a copy of Fields of Arl. Um, it, it, you know, because it's quite hard to get hold of at the moment. Um, I do have an email that I need to send to Z-Man Games to say, look, if you want this covered on your channel, so I haven't asked Z-Man Games for a copy of it yet. I might do if it becomes readily available because the last time I asked Z-Man Games for a copy of a game, they sent it to me. So yeah, maybe, um, but definitely Fields of Arl. There's a couple of others as well. I can't quite think of. Can you think of any games that I think I want in my collection? Fields of Arl is definitely one of them, but I, I think there's a couple more. If I remember later, James, I will, I will, I will try and have another think and I will let you know. Or if anybody else knows of games that I've talked about that I think, oh yeah, I'd like a copy of that game and it's really hard to get hold of, um, then yeah. Uh, what other things have we got? What other things have we got? Uh, Andrew, Andrew is saying, Uthea Resurrected went live on Kickstarter today. Thoughts on that one? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm professionally involved in, in Uthea. Uh, I'm not now. So I have no, I have no professional relationship at the moment with Steamforged Games. Um, I say at the moment because there might be some potential of us working together. In fact, Steamforged Games reached out to me and they offered to sponsor some Uthea videos, but I was unable to do any uh, for the Kickstarter. Um, my workload for the last couple of weeks has been too much, and I'm not able to make any videos for the next couple of weeks because I'm having a break. Um, so yeah, so Steamforge Games offered me 
to do some sponsored videos for Euthea, and I wasn't able to, not because I don't like the game and not because I didn't want to, but because I wasn't able to fit that into my schedule. Um, would I do any more in future? I absolutely would. So I'm saying there might be a professional relationship between me and Steamforge Games at some point in the future. In fact, Steamforge Games have reached out to me and contacted me about another game, not Euthea, another game that they've just got the IP for, uh, and we've already talked about potential sponsored content for that. So yeah, my thoughts on Euthea, I can't really give you my opinions on the game because I was professionally involved in the game itself, but I am so happy that it did get resurrected. Uh, it's so ironic that the game has resurrection in the title and the game got resurrected. Um, because not only have I had a professional relationship with the people at Dire Games, is that in the two years that I was working on the game, I built up a um, a friendly relationship with them, as well as a professional relationship with them. And when what happened happened with Dire Games, and they had to pull the Kickstarter, they were massively in debt, and it was, you know, they, they weren't able to continue running... I, like many people, were very sad about that. So the fact that Steamforge Games have, have stepped in and they've essentially bought it off them, as far as I understand, um, that hopefully it's going to work out for everybody. Dire Games are hopefully going to be okay. Hopefully it's going to work out fine for Steamforge Games and for the gamers out there. For the gamers out there who want a copy of Euthea, they can now get a copy of Euthea. So I, I have thoughts on the game in that I am very, very happy that it's back on Kickstarter and it seems to be doing well. So anybody who wants it can now back it and get it. Um, but I can't really give you my opinion on the game because I, I was involved in it. Uh, what other questions have we got in the chat? Just while we wrap things up, we've got five minutes left. Fields of all are going for $35 around here, says Jill. Well, Jill, if you can buy it, I will give you the money for it. $35 for a copy of Fields of all is an insane price. Maybe it's a maybe it's a copy with half of the pieces missing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I don't think there's any other questions. Have you seen any other questions in the chat? Right, that's it. What are we having for dinner tonight? Chicken katsu curry tonight. So is that a homemade one or homemade chicken katsu curry? So that's the plan for tonight. I'm going to be eating eating chicken katsu curry, and then. Tonight's job is that I'm going to be having a night off in front of TV and I'm going to be building my folded space organiser for Frosthaven. Um, so yeah, my copy of Frosthaven arrived. I've punched out all 25,000 punch boards. The entire living room is now covered in Frosthaven pieces and I've got the folded space organiser which I'm going to be uh, putting together tonight and I'm going to be putting that in. Um, that's everything. I will be back this week. So first of all, Friday. What am I doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm editing the videos tomorrow. Yeah. So Friday, I will be doing um, a solo playthrough Patreon only of Sky Mines in the afternoon, where I'm going to be learning how to play the solo mode. Then on Friday evening, there will be a Patreon only stream of Marvel Champions. Me and Rick, we're going to be playing some Marvel Champions on Friday evening. That will be Patreon only because we're not quite sure what time Rick's arriving and we need to pack it up by, before 10 o'clock. Um, because at 10 o'clock on Friday evening, I think it's a world exclusive, but I'm going to be doing a live two-player playthrough of the new Dungeons & Dragons Onslaught game, which is a tactical skirmish game based on the Dungeons & Dragons rule set. WizKids have sent me an advanced uh, preview kit for it, and we're going to be doing that on Friday night. So if you have any interest in that at all, that's live 10 o'clock UK time Friday night. And then on Saturday, 
is the two live streams that I mentioned earlier on. We have the Lotterins of Arnak solo playthrough in the morning, and then Skymine solo playthrough in the afternoon, and that is to help raise money um, for, for Dan Apsey with the, the charity board gaming event, which is happening this weekend. So just to wrap things up, a big thank you to all of my patron supporters. These videos are not sponsored in any way at all. So yeah, thanks to the patron supporters for making these videos possible. And if you want to contribute to the channel and help me carry on making more videos, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And also the contest. If you haven't entered the contest yet, go and do so now because it's free to enter. And all you need to do is click on the link that's appearing in the chat. The secret word is Frosthaven and you will get entered into the contest. And if you're a patron supporter, you get two entries into the hat just as a thank you for supporting me on Patreon. Patreon support for the last couple of months has been dropping. Um, the global situation with everything that's going on is obviously affecting people. Um, and yeah, that's just one of those things. That, that's how it goes. Patreon support has been increasing steadily since last October, but for the last two months, it's taken a bit of a downward turn. Um, as I say, it's just one of those things that happens. But yeah, if you're watching this video and you are able to support me on Patreon, even just a dollar a month, it all helps contribute to the channel. So yeah, big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this happen. Thank you to Vicky for being here as well. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap things up. All done. Take care, everybody. Thanks very much for watching. I'll see you in a stream later in the week. Uh, but until next time, take care. Thanks for watching.